Okay, so game five is the big story. Colorado looking to um, finish this one off. I don't think anyone thinks that Tampa's going to go down easy on this one, though, folks. What do you say? You can always ruin a parade. Tampa looks to do that one tonight. Uh, we'll talk to Scott Lachlan about that coming up at the uh, top of the second hour. Meantime, uh, a wonderful day yesterday in the nation's capital. Um, as Ottawa granted preferred bid status by the National Capital Commission to build a rink downtown. Uh, something we have talked about for a number of years here, elsewhere, certainly Ottawa Senators fans and anyone that has followed the team, either as a fan or in Ian Mendez's case, as a professional reporter. Ian from The Athletic joins me now. How are you today, Ian? Thanks so much for being aboard. Hey, Jeff. Always great to be on with you. Yeah, man. It's so good to hear your voice, pal. Um, <laughs> listen, yesterday was a wonderful day for Ottawa. And, and not just the hockey team, but I think, um, listen, I've got friends and family in Ottawa. And got plenty of texts, you know, exciting texts. Like finally, you know, there's a there's there's a, there's a little bit of light here at the end of the tunnel, or something has opened up a little bit, and you start to see a a, a pathway. Before we get into the the specifics of all of this and and what this could mean, how was this news greeted yesterday in the nation's capital? Yeah, I think you know. However, your friends and family texted you. I think that was pretty reflective of the the mood in the city, which is, hey, we got some good news, and and. Are there some potential landmines and pitfalls ahead? Yeah, for sure there are. But let's just take a moment to appreciate that a significant hurdle was, was cleared. Um, I, I love the uh, the comment from the Ottawa mayor. Uh, and, you know, people may not know. Ottawa's mayor is a, a, a guy by the name of Jim Watson. And Jim has been yeah. the mayor here for a long, long time. And I loved it when Jim had his first chance, Jeff, to kind of uh, make his public statement yesterday. He alluded to the movie Groundhog Day. And he said, you know what, <laughs> this is like Groundhog Day. And I was like, I love this. I love when a mayor can cite some popular yeah. fiction, uh, pop culture, sorry. Um, yeah. And so it, that's how it feels in Ottawa. It feels like Groundhog Day. We've been here before. We were here six years ago when, when the same uh, situation happened, where Ottawa was kind of granted the rights to build at Le Breton. It deteriorated. It ended with lawsuits and nasty feelings and basically an unbuilt uh, 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 arena. So here, here we hope that uh, it's the, the second opportunity to – to move forward. But so I do think that the, the prevailing feeling in Ottawa is, is kind of cautious optimism right now. Yeah. You know, just, just as, as a quick aside, because you mentioned the lawsuits, um, with the passing of Eugene Melnick recently, do we know the status of those lawsuits, Ian? Yeah. So, Jeff, they're ongoing because really um, they were in Eugene Melnick's company names, which were a capital sports management uh, is the entity that was, was involved in the lawsuit. So it wasn't him personally. It was the business, Capital Sports Management, which is kind of an arm of the Ottawa Senators. So um, I believe, and, I, and I, I put this in my story in The Athletic, I believe it's July 25th is the next potential court date uh, involving uh, that that litigation. And basically, Eugene Melnick sued his uh, ex-partners, Trinity Developments and John Ruddy, for $700 million. Those uh, That party turned around and said, you know what, we're going to countersue you for a billion dollars. And I think it is certainly thrown a little bit of a, a cloud of uncertainty over the, uh, the the valuation of the franchise and where we go from here, but that is mm -hmm. still still outstanding. Yeah. Okay. So okay. So we'll we'll, we'll park that for now and regroup uh, later on in July. Um, I think one of the first things that that jumps out at people is the idea that a now it becomes more attractive. Like the Ottawa Center has become more attractive uh, for sale. Um, the franchise value grows, and one of the things that jumped out to to me right away. Um, was the people that the senators or the entities rather that the senators have partnered with, whether it's, you know, Sterling or Tipping Point um, or uh, who else are they? Uh, Populous. Uh, po the, uh, the Populous, yeah. Yeah, Populous. I mean, they put they did uh, Climate Pledge, T-Mobile Arena and and other ones that I think, oh, Videotron Center in Quebec City where the Ramparts play. Like there's some some heavy hitters here uh, that are that are behind all this, Ian. And this is the difference this time. The senators say, look, look who we brought to the table. Sterling Project, uh, you know, they're New York-based. Uh, they, I think, were involved in uh, the Islanders Arena Project there at UBS. Um, as you mentioned, Populous, they're the design firm. They put together, you know, Climate Pledge and T-Mobile. I think the um, uh, Tottenham Hotspurs uh, Stadium in London is, is, is under their umbrella, too. They've got that boutique um, finance firm, uh, Tipping Point, that you alluded to. Um, they're, I assume that they're here to help kind of with some of the uh, securing of finances for Ottawa. Live Nation is another entity that people might right. know Live Nation as the, the concert promotion uh, 
uh, group. They're part of this too, and I assume that they're there to help. Hey, how can we help attract events outside of those 41 regular season home dates? So they feel like they've got a kind of, um, you know, for lack of a better term, dream team here that they've put together. But, Jeff, here's the key. They just got a memorandum of understanding done yesterday. Now is where the rubber hits the road. We're looking at about an 18-month period. They said the fall of 2023 is kind of when they need the next phase completed, which I think will include a better idea of financing, how it's going to be financed. You know, what size of arena are we going to get? Are we going to get something closer to MTS or I, I don't even know what it's called now in Winnipeg, but the arena in Winnipeg where it's mm-hmm. 15,000, are we going to get something closer to the Bell Center where it's 20,000, something in between? A lot of those questions are going to be answered in the next 18 months. And, and again, the key part of all this is how is it going to be financed and, and who is going to finance it? Uh, yeah, and, and, and we wonder, too, about the Nate, uh, and this is always a hot-button issue, certainly, and always has come things like election time, uh, public versus private or a harmony of both? How much is that a topic of discussion already? Well, I, it is. It's certainly a topic. And, and listen, I think the last major arena project in the NHL in Canada would have been uh, Rogers Place or Rogers Arena there in, in Edmonton. And mm-hmm. I think, and I looked at the funding model there, the, the hockey team put in about just under 30%. The government, various levels of government chipped in. Um, you know, the rest, there was, a, there was a significant ticket surcharge too. I think there was like a 10% ticket surcharge on every event there to help fund it. Um, but that was 10 years ago. And I think everybody who's listening to us now is very acutely aware of the fact that our landscape has changed. And in the last two years, we've seen the price of everything um, skyrocket and inflation has hit an all-time high. I don't know, or not an all-time, I certainly uh, the highest of, of, of our lifetime, but mm. I don't know if there's an appetite from any level of government, be it municipal, provincial, or federal, to um, help out here. Now, I do think that there's ways that they can be creative. Can they kind of maybe gift them some land or give them, give them opportunities? If it's a tax break, maybe people will be more on board with that. But boy, oh boy, if there's some sort of, uh, you know, uh, payout, I think that they're going to have a hard time in the public realm. Yeah. But the senators are going to push for that. I think they want this to be ideally privately funded, but I think we're all very well aware uh, this is probably going to be a close to a $1 billion project at the end of the day. And mm. we're not just, we're just not a huge city here that can, uh, I think, absorb that just cost without any sort of uh, public funding uh, at all. Certainly. Now, the, the, the one thing is, I'm, I'm curious about how you, uh, you talk about what the nature of this, of this arena will be. I mean, I, I don't think this is just for the Ottawa Senators. I mean, the presence of Live Nation here leads us to believe this is going to be a, a multi-use facility. This will be concerts. This will be shows. Uh, this won't just be hockey. I mean, I mean, Ian, you know me. You and I go back a, a number of years. You know I'm going to bring up the Ottawa 67s and whether there is yeah. a, a, a potential for a home for the junior hockey team as well. This is going to be, you know, much along the lines of what we see other arenas, which is, yes, the main tenant, the anchor tenant is going to be the hockey team, but that's not all that we're going to see in the building. Well, here's the issue. Like, there, there's an interesting issue. It's, it's interesting you bring up the Ottawa 67s, Jeff, because uh, there is a redevelopment of that facility going on and the plan is that they're going to and for for fans who remember where the senators when they first came in the league that's where they played was at the civic center which is kind of underneath the football stadium the plan is to revamp that as a new home for the 67s and have that be more like a 5,000 seat venue so i i don't see if at this stage of the game a scenario where the 67s would share that Mm -hmm. uh that new arena with, with the senators um our issue in Ottawa has always been a little bit of the the little sibling situation when it comes to trying to attract concerts and major events, right? Like we're right in between Toronto and Montreal, right? So like when yeah. Bieber and all these acts come through, they'll often do uh, Toronto and Montreal and not do Ottawa. Um, is that a function of where the arena is located? I don't know, but I'm, I'm somewhat optimistic that the fact that Live Nation is on board here, that maybe that's part of their selling point is, hey, I know we get skipped a lot on tour dates and major events and, and, and concerts that roll through. Maybe us being on board here, we can, we can help leverage uh, some of that into bringing some bigger acts into Ottawa. You know, one of the interesting things here, Ian, and this is not unlike what the Arizona Coyotes are going through right now with their attempts to build their, uh, their new rink in Tempe, and it seems as if, you know, every couple of months they, they jump over another hurdle, and it is very much moving in that direction. Still some roadblocks, but we'll see where we, where we go. 
it seems as if, you know, Arizona, by the time this rink is built, that all the pieces of what you know, a legitimate, decent team should be will all be in place. Almost like their their rebuild will coincide, you know, with the unveiling of this new rink. Now, I know Ottawa's already down the road a little bit more, whether it's with, you know, Kachuk or Stutzla, go, go right down the list, Shabbat. But it seems as if, you know, the timing of this is is, is kind of perfect. You know, I know it's, it's 18 months out before we start to get a shovel, but then you look at three years and all of a sudden you're saying, this should be a really good team by then, no? I, yeah, I would hope so. Like, I think, like, realistically, I'm looking at either 2026-2027 or the 2027-2028 season for the Senators to be playing downtown. And that's when you factor in there's a lot of hurdles to clear and there's, you know, obviously the construction, all that stuff. It's interesting. The last year of Brady Kachuk and Thomas Shabbat's contract is 2027-2028. So I've tried to wrap my mind around the fact that, you know what, these guys are going to still play the majority of the prime of their career at the current venue, which is Canadian Tire Center uh, in Canada. But the hope is, like, and this is the the most frustrating thing is, when they made this plan in 2016, Jeff, they were going to be playing games in the arena this season. Like, this would have been the year that the downtown rink was ready, if not sooner. So um, everything's been pushed back a little bit, but absolutely. Like I could see a scenario in which by 20, you know, 2026, this is a, this is a really good hockey team uh, that is kind of knocking, hopefully knocking on the doorstep of a, of a Stanley cup and then potentially knocking on the the doorstep of a, of a brand new rink too. Um, let's get to some Ottawa Senators issues then. And one of the big ones, and I asked him about it at the, uh, the combine in Buffalo and Pierre Dorian said, thank you, but we don't negotiate through the media. <laughs> and I, I get that, but you have to ask, right? You, you do the gig. Um, is there anything latest with, uh, with the Josh Norris situation? I know it's the same agents, uh, same agency rather as, as Brady Kachuk and that may scare Ottawa Senators fans, uh, given what that negotiation was like, but do you have any idea of what we could be looking at here? No, and it's been uh, kind of radio silence. And, you know, and Pierre, to his credit, I think has been pretty steadfast, and that's his, his standard line. Hey, I don't, uh, I don't negotiate uh, through the media, and so I don't anticipate anything would, would leak out. And Craig Oster is the same way. Like Craig, uh, whether it's, it's Brady Kachuk, Matthew Kachuk, Mark Stone, any of his big clients, uh, Carlson, he's been very quiet. You don't often get a lot of leaks out of that. Um, I think for Ottawa fans, the only thing they're thinking is, just don't let this drag into training camp. I think if you're talking about taking a significant step forward next season as a team, I don't think you can have your number one centerman missing from training camp or missing as Brady Kachuk missed regular season games. That can't happen. Um, there's a lot of runway here, though, and, and there's a lot of ways this can go. I, I could see there being a bridge deal because maybe there's a little bit of apprehension. Is he the real? Is he the 35-goal scorer that we saw? Do we need to see a little bit more? I could see them going seven, eight years like they did with Kachuk and Chabot. Um, there's a lot of options here. There's a lot of runway. I, I'll start to get nervous, though, Jeff. If we're, if you and I are having this same conversation in the middle of middle to late August, like kind of two months from now, that's right. when I think it, there's time to, to worry. But I, I wouldn't be too concerned right now if, if I'm an Ottawa fan. You know what I'm thinking about with Ottawa, Ian? I'll, uh, well, first of all, I'm thinking about the first-round draft pick and how this is a, a special one for Pierre Dorian as well. Um, but I'm thinking a lot about Matt Murray. And, you know, I know that Pierre Dorian, he said the same thing to me, that, you know, there's a very good possibility they start the season with three goaltenders. And that never works. We can just all be blunt. Like, as much as people go into it with a positive attitude, it never works. And just how the, the, the game is, is played and structured, it can't work. Um, I keep wondering about Matt Murray. I think that Matt Murray will be someone to, to keep our eyes on. And whether it's, uh, you know, maybe it's right down the road in Toronto if they can't come to a deal with, with Jack Campbell. But the, the, the one player of interest for me for the Ottawa Senators is the goaltender. Um, your thoughts on whether you think he stays or he goes? Because to me, considering how everybody's looking for goaltenders, I have a hard time believing that Matt Murray is still going to be a send next year. Uh, you know what? I could not agree with you more. I think it's the most in a summer in which the senators have to get Norris done, acquire a top six forward, do all these things, even with the arena stuff. I think the most interesting thing to me is Matt Murray because he's got two. Like here's the thing, Jeff. He's got two years left on his deal, and it's back. It's backloaded, meaning he's owed fifteen million dollars in real cash. So even though his cap hit is just over six million, it's seven million this year, eight million the year uh, following that. For that type of money, 
I think you want a lock-it-in number one goaltender. I think the only prediction I feel super comfortable making is no matter what happens, I think Anton Forsberg is Ottawa's opening night starter. That's even if Murray is in the equation. I think Forsberg has earned that right. Um, mm. And I do think, like, if you're asking me to, to hey, wh- what do you think happens? I do think the trade is probably best for everybody involved. I know for a fact there were hurt feelings, uh, certainly from the player's side on the AHL demotion. Um, I think it's not irreconcilable differences, but I I do think they've reached a point where, hey, maybe it's best to to move on. The problem is, as I mentioned, $6.25 million cap hit, $15 million in real cash over the next two years. Ottawa's going to have to eat some of that. And if it's 20%, 30%, 50%, I don't know. I don't see a scenario, even though he's got two Stanley Cup rings, I don't see a scenario where somebody takes that contract on without um, Ottawa either adding a massive sweetener or... Um, absorbing some some cash, but I, I do I agree with you. Like I look at Chicago too, and I think boy, Chicago maybe need a a goaltender. Yeah. There there are there are landing spots, as you know. Every summer there's a goaltending carousel. There are absolutely landing spots for Matt Murray. I just you know just question of how much is Ottawa willing to to eat to make that happen. Uh, real quick before I let you go, Ian, uh, how much are people talking about the idea of Claude Giroux, the Hearst Ontario kid? <sighs> yeah, it's listen. I think. This would be the dream. Because, look, when you work and live in a small market Canadian city, you don't get – one of the things you don't get to dream about is landing the big free agent, right? Like, that, that's kind of how it goes for us in Ottawa and Winnipeg and Calgary and, to, and Edmonton. Like, we just don't really get to dream about it. And then when you start to hear the whispers that, you know what, Claude maybe wants to come home, and he does. He's back here every summer. We all kind of see and hear Claude back in, in Ottawa in the summertime. We know he loves it here. Um, but I, this is my sense, Jeff. I think Claude is entering. Remember when Jerome again, at the end of his career, he kind of became a mercenary. Mercenary. And was like, yep. You know, he was like, I'm going to go to Pittsburgh. I'm going to go to Boston. I'm going to go to Colorado and LA and I'm going to find that Stanley Cup. I think that's what Claude's going to do. And until he kind of satisfies that element of his career and wins a cup, I don't see a scenario where he comes back unless Ottawa has a great year next year, takes a quantum leap forward. And all of a sudden, you're like, you know what? Maybe they're on the precipice of a Stanley Cup, and maybe close the missing piece. I could see that. I just, I don't see it this summer. But I, I love the fact that at least we can hold out hope that the player, at least, is entertaining the idea of, of coming back here. You know, that's got a sting. Then, if you're an Ottawa Senators fan, and you say to yourself, "Well, the two teams that were trying to get him most were the Florida Panthers, who ended up getting him, and the other, the Colorado Avalanche, who oh, might win the Stanley Cup tonight." Ian Mendes. <laughs> Oh, I know. <laughs> uh, tough one. Uh, listen, uh, but it's always great catching up with you. Uh, great reporting, as always. Uh, read Ian's latest piece on the uh, the arena development at The Athletic. Uh, thanks, pal. We'll, uh, we'll chat soon. Sounds great. Have a great weekend. Ian Mendez from The Athletic. Uh, big day of optimism yesterday. Uh, the downtown rink becoming a reality. Still a ways to way. Still a ways to go. But uh, Ottawa with a preferred status bid now. To build the rink downtown. Thanks, Ian Mendez, for stopping by. Uh, he's fantastic. Uh, Scott Lachlan from uh, Morning Skater on NHL Network Radio. Tour around the NHL. All the news. And, oh, yeah, Game 5 tonight at Ball Arena. As Colorado looks to close out against the two-time defending Stanley Cup champions. Series up 3-1. to Merrick Show continues across the Sportsnet Radio Network. Breaking down everything in Leafsland better than anyone. Real Kipper and Born. Be sure to subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to the program. I want to thank Ian Mendez for stopping by. Happy times in Ottawa right now. I know it's just a little step along the way. I know we haven't gotten out the front door quite yet. But preferred bid status is a big deal, considering how long we've been talking about LeBreton Flats and the idea of the Ottawa Senators having a downtown rink. Thanks to Mendez from The Athletic for stopping by, and thanks to Elliot Friedman, who kicks off every program here, Elliot in Denver tonight, uh, for what could be closeout as the Avalanche look to end the reign of Stanley Cups at 2 
by the Tampa Bay Lightning, but I don't think Tampa's going to go down easy. I wonder what Scott Lachlan thinks from the morning skate on Sirius XM's NHL, uh, NHL Network Radio. There we go, Scotty. First day with the new tongue here. I'm just trying to break it in before the weekend. How you doing, pal? Uh, I'm doing well. I'm doing well, Jeff. Looking forward to tonight, and I think we could be on the verge of crowning the Colorado Avalanche, maybe for the first time of what could be a couple of different times here in the next few years. Yeah, we'll see. I'm with you on that one because, I've, like you, um, I've gotten ahead of myself here and already thought, okay, mm-hmm. so what's next for Colorado after 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 they they win this thing? And uh, I, I want to come around to that. Um, you know, what's next with the Nachushkins and the Cadres and the Mansons and go right down? Let's just say nothing of Darcy Kemper uh, as well. But um, getting here has been interesting, and I thought one of the most interesting. Well, first of all. Where once upon a time Nikita Kucherov was the go-to quote after a game, now it's Steven Stamkos. And I thought his um, his quotes after the third game uh, were the most particularly salient. This is the game where you know Tampa jumps back into the series and they handle Colorado, and right away Stamkos says, "Hold on a second here." If we play like that in game four, we're in trouble. Like, right away, it's like, sure, you won the game, but they know, mm-hmm. like, Tampa knows and Stamkos knows. They may have, I don't know, maybe gotten away with one is too strong, Scotty, but they know that they can only play that way once against Colorado in the series until it comes back to bite them. Uh, and then we all saw what happened in game four. What do you think of the the games getting here and the ride that we've been through leading up to this game five where the, uh, where the cup will finally be in the rink? Well, I think on the surface, I mean, you you break it all down, Jeff, and and a lot of things to me, you know, kind of don't make sense. What do I mean by that? Well, I mean, you've got the two goalies for Colorado, the two-headed monster that's both, of course, seen action throughout the course of the postseason. You've got them with a combined 899 save percentage. Uh, You've also got the top offensive player, at least up front for the Colorado Avalanche, uh, being a guy who has not really gotten untracked. I know he was in the right place at the right time in the last game, uh, but he hasn't really had to put this team on his back either here in the Stanley Cup final. Uh, he had obviously been a difference maker leading up to the final itself, but they've relied on their depth guys, I think, to put them in a position where they can clinch tonight too. So I think it's, in, in a way, uh, somewhat, again, uh, a period right now where we're just ready to crown a champion from Denver, but it's also a period where a lot of it kind of doesn't make sense by way of what we usually expect a Stanley Cup champion to be, and that is a dominant goaltender, uh, a top player up front that always seems to lead the way, their best offensive player. That's not been the case in the Stanley Cup final in particular, too. So I think mm-hmm. that Colorado's done it in very unorthodox ways to get to this point, and yet we kind of expected this team was building towards this the past couple of years. As for Tampa Bay, I just wonder at this point whether or not they've lost the battle of attrition, and from what I'm seeing on social media here, it's been great to see Braden Point out on the ice as we speak, and at least he's yeah. ramping things up, and maybe he could be an option. Chernock's out there as well, skating during an optional. Maybe he could be an option, but we're not quite sure. I just wonder how much they've got left to give here. They've got the hearts of a champion. Uh, the will's going to be there. I just don't know whether or not there's going to be enough manpower, and with that particular manpower, enough gas left in the tank here to come all the way back to win three more games. You know, it is interesting with uh, with Tampa. They've played a lot of hockey the last three seasons. We know that. Hockey in challenging environments, and we think of how successful they were in the bubble, how successful they were in the COVID-shortened season as well. And then I, I don't know that we get... I don't... You know, I'll be honest with you, Scotty. I don't know if um, we give enough credit to teams that were successful this season because we haven't had a proper full season in three years now. And this is one where we finally had it. And I think that, you know, maybe you felt this way as a broadcaster. I certainly did. I forgot how long a hockey season was <laughs> and how it felt. And here we are, June 24th, and we're still talking about hockey games. We're going to continue talking about hockey until free agency on the 13th of July and then beyond. Like, this season, I think, was a, a maybe a shock to a lot of people at, at how long a hockey season is. And, and Tampa has been really successful. And it's not just, like... When I think of Tampa, it's not just the physical toll, and and that is front and center. You mentioned Chernak, and you mentioned Point, and we all know about their injuries, and there's a ton of other players, I'm sure, that are hiding injuries right now, but still, they're getting down and blocking 35 shots a game like they did in Game 4. To me, it's mental, too. 
like to be able to mm-hmm. stay that focused, that sharp in that zone that this team's been able to stay in for this many years. You know, to me, that's a that's that's a remarkable one, Scotty. That's a really impressive uh, uh, thing with it with Tampa. And but again, you can only do that for so long. Like even that has an expiration date for a team. Yeah, I think you're right, Jeff. And, and, and look, when the mind gets fatigued, and, and you see this at the scouting comp, Brian, right, Jeff? I mean, you've been around it for so many years now. Years and years ago, they came up with this uh, ad- invention to put kids on a, on a bike and do some VO2 testing. And then before you even get 30 seconds to sit down on a chair, they want you in front of a computer and they want to know how your mind operates because you're so exhausted. You're so mentally fatigued. And, you know, I think that this is more or less the case when you look at the Stanley Cup playoffs, right? Especially for a team like Tampa that's played so much hockey the past couple of seasons, as you suggest too, Jeff, under some very adverse circumstances to say the very least, right? And yeah. and for them to, to make this run again, you just wonder physically where they're at, like we say, but you also wonder mentally how much of a grind it's become for this team to try to just go to the well one more time. And look, we've seen Vasilevsky be human in the playoffs. Uh, he's been not as consistently awesome <laughs> as we've expected him to be uh, in previous playoff runs, of course. And, and we're seeing it from him, maybe, the odd laps here or there. Uh, we see it with the odd mistake in their own zone that they never used to seem to make. Uh, at the same time, I think, Jeff, we've just got to credit Colorado for being so good on the forecheck for causing these mistakes and, and taking advantage of it. I just see as well that John Cooper moments ago came out and said that he does now believe that the first two games uh, Tampa Bay was the victim of altitude that it did take its toll on the team because initially John said if you remember uh, Jeff going back to, yeah. to losing the first game of that series he was asked about altitude and how about the, the, the difficulty in adjusting and so on and so forth and he mentioned something like no no they've had about a week out there uh, they were getting ready uh, and, and they put in some time because let's remember there were two days off between games one and two so he wasn't using it as an excuse then I don't know that he's using it right now as an excuse now but I do think that he realizes that everything right now seems to be a grind for his team whether it's physical or mental or both I think that right now uh, they're up against it and they're up against the best team that they faced in the Stanley Cup final certainly with all due respect to Dallas and Montreal in the last couple of years absolutely 100% true Scotty um were you a fan of the old David Carradine TV show Kung Fu uh, no, no. I, it, it was maybe uh, it was maybe something that uh, that ran up against the Flintstones at that time for me, Jeff. <laughs> <laughs> I just think that you know, quiet the character of Quiet Chan Kang is sort of you know wandering all over the all all over the world. Um, and I, I want to bring it this back to Corey Perry, who goes from you know mm-hmm. Dallas to Montreal and and now to Chan Tampa. Like I I do like. I do like the idea of the NHL having uh, a mercenary like this who's just going, you know, wherever he's going to get closest to the cup, that's where he's going to go. That's where Corey Perry <laughs> wants to be. Now, he does have one more year of, uh, of term left mm-hmm. with the Tampa Bay Lightning, and I think we can all look at Tampa and say, well, we'll see what happens with Andre Palat, but we can still see them being in the Stanley Cup final uh, next season. They are just that good. But do you have a thought on Corey Perry? Through all of this, like I, I love the guy, and listen, he's coming in on million dollar deals. And after escrow, you know what that contract looks like. I just love the players, um, and Peter Forsberg might be the ultimate example of this. Who just went looking, you know, for boot after boot after boot to try to make his foot feel fine. I just love the guy that they have to drag off the ice. That you know what? I just love hockey. I've done everything. I'm going to the Hall of Fame. I've won every championship, but I'm still have this in me and I'm not going to stop even though I've won everything and I'm 38 years old. You have a thought on Corey Perry? Yeah, speaking of the scouting combine, Jeff, years and years ago, I remember pulling Steve Thomas aside, and that's what Stumpy told me. He said, they're literally going to have to come and take the skates away from me. I will continue to put the skates on. As long long as somebody was going to give him an opportunity, uh, he was going to do that. Corey Perry's from that same mold, right? And, you know, I I, I saw earlier in the playoffs, of course, when Colorado, especially after the first two games, jumped out to the series lead, somebody on, on Twitter, Jeff, had superimposed a Colorado Avalanche sweater on Corey Perry, as if to say, hey, 
Colorado's winning this year, and Corey Perry's going to be with the Avalanche coming up next season. Of course, if you can't beat him, join him. And look, I mean, let's not forget, too, I mean, as a young guy, you know, he and Getzloff with the Ducks, they beat the Senators in 2007, so it's not like he hasn't won before, and you know how good his Memorial Cup winning team was in London going back to 2005, right? So this guy's been around winning throughout his entire career. It hasn't happened as much lately, but he's been to the Stanley Cup final. The thing that keeps driving him is certainly not the million dollars he's making this season and next. That's great, and it's better than most people obviously can earn uh, playing a game like this especially, but he just wants to win a Stanley Cup. You know, I saw the conversation he had before the series began as well uh, with somebody over there at Hockey Night in Canada, Roger Sportsnet, and, you know, he talked about the fact that he wanted to play for Tampa, but the fact that they gave him an extra year as well, that was the tipping point for him. I mean, to, to play for Tampa and to be on a, a real good team that had a great chance to get back to the final was one thing, but the fact that he could extend his career, not go into this summer having to worry whether or not somebody was out there and ready to give him an opportunity, I thought that was big. He just said, you know, I want to keep playing as long as I can. I get a multi-year contract. Sure, where do I sign? And you go from there. Uh, it's funny because I've had my dad over the past couple of weeks. He's been visiting we've had some great times watching the stanley cup final and the playoffs in general and i said to my dad the other night i said you know what i'm a huge Corey perry fan i love the passion and intensity he plays with i like the fact that he's a shift disturber no question uh he's the type of guy he's the forward version of chris pronger from this standpoint uh jeff as you know i mean chris got booed in every barn in the nhl uh, that he visited, unless he was playing for your team, you hated Chris Pronger. Corey Perry seems to be that same type of guy that always seems to stir up the emotion and the animosity from a fan base towards him because of the way that he plays, jamming the net accidentally on purpose, falling into goaltenders, those sorts of things. This has been his calling card for years now. I love the guy. The guy seems like he's a winner. He's always been a winner, and we'll see if he can do it again. It's amazing how strong a skater Corey Perry is all over the ice except in the crease. <laughs> it's just, it's, I, I'm just so amazed at how strong, just the, something about blue and his blades. Just that, yeah. I, I, <laughs> the gra- maybe the gravity is stronger in the sure, blue paint. Sure. I, I don't. I don't get it, Scotty. It's always been a always been a wonder there with uh, with Corey. Yeah. So let me let me add, then the the answer to this one for me is is Gabriel Landeskog. And I was I was making the point the other day. I was you know texting with someone um, right before game four, and this is you know Kadri's come back, and you know uh, Landeskog is in there taking faceoffs for him. He wins seventeen faceoffs, and you know this person texts me and says, and this is someone that knows that player and that organization really well. He said, um, did you ever notice that uh, Bednar always puts Landeskog on the line that needs help? Mm-hmm. He's, like the, he's like the ultimate fixer for this team. It's like, okay, this line is struggling. Okay, put Landeskog there. Okay, Kadri's coming back. We know he's got the bad thumb. He can't take draws. Put Landeskog there. You know, I've always maintained that when uh, when Miko Rantanen and Nathan McKinnon are together on that top line with Landeskog, Landeskog is actually the one that makes the whole thing work uh, because he'll, you know, he'll, his, his play allows McKinnon to go all over the ice and be Nathan McKinnon. To me, the answer to this question is Gabriel Landeskog, but I'll ask it of you. If Colorado wins this thing tonight, who do you feel best for on that team? It's a great question. Uh, I would feel best probably for Eric Johnson, uh, I think, because he's been the longest tenured Colorado Avalanche player, Jeff. Uh, We know he's overcome a lot in terms of adversity. When he first got to Denver, uh, I don't think things went as swimmingly as he would have liked. They went through some real tough times, as we know, and now he perseveres. He's back as healthy as you can be at this stage of his career, having overcome all that. Uh, and, and we were talking about this earlier this morning, Jeff. Like, who gets the cup after Landeskog uh, gets it from the commissioner if if Colorado can win as early as this evening? The, the debate was, do you give it to number 29? Because he's been through a lot. And we remember the speech at the end of last season, haven't won Jack, or so to speak. Or do you give it to Eric Johnson? And, and, and my money was on Eric Johnson just because of what he's overcome since going out there to Colorado and all the injuries and so on and so forth, too. Landeskog, though, uh, ironically, Jeff, I guess it was 11 years ago today, 
that he was selected second overall by the Avalanche. So this was his draft day 11 years ago today, back in 2011, as I do the math very quickly here. Uh, and, and we've often joked, right, like he's the, he's the best-sounding Swedish-Canadian uh, that you can ever meet, because oh. even when he was playing as a captain with the Kitchener Rangers, I believe the first uh, OHL uh, European captain at that point, you thought, this guy's really, this guy's really from Sweden, Jeff? Uh, yeah, but, I, I, I think I, I think Vasicek may have been the, may have been the first, but he might Joe have been Vasicek? a captain. I think okay. I think so. Was I'm not 100 percent, Scotty. I think it might have been a co though. But no, you're he, sure. was, he was one of yeah for sure, like one of absolutely. And from the get go too, Jeff, I was like, this guy's from Sweden. He sounds like he's from Kelvin yeah, to Saskatchewan, right? Like this guy doesn't yeah. seem seem to be that type of guy. But I mean, he plays the game in so many different ways. You were describing a guy who makes his line mates better. I was thinking about a guy like Zach Hyman. Now Landis Scott. I think he's got a little bit more skill than Zach Hyman has, but we remember from his days in Toronto and now with Edmonton, you can play him up and down your lineup on yep. the wing, first, second, third line. He's going to make the guys on his line better. Landis Gog, to your point, Jeff, has got a lot of that going on too. You know, speaking of Landis Gog's old Kitchener Rangers days, you know, there's a there's a great story about uh, a rookie Gabriel Landis Gog. This is the Kitchener Rangers playing the Sault Ste. Marie Greyhounds and Jake Muzzin. Uh, who was a defenseman for the Hounds, took a run at one of the one of the skilled players on the Kitchener Rangers, like really flattened him. And Landeskog right away went to him to fight. And everybody on the bench, as someone who was there, told me, uh, everyone's like, uh-oh, what's, what's, what's this kid think he's doing? And apparently Landeskog just like beat the brakes off Muzzin. Just beat the brakes. And everyone said, holy, where did that come from? At that time, you know, Muzzin's one of the toughest players in the OHL. Like I've got... I got a lot of time for uh, for for Gabriel Landeskog, and I've, I've mentioned it before on the program. You know, if you press me for who my favorite player is, I'll probably tell you it's Gabriel Landeskog, that he's like my favorite mm-hmm. player in the NHL. Period. Here's a okay. Let, let's go back to another hi- historical date. So two nights ago, so two nights ago, Nazem Kadri scores in overtime. That is 15 years to the day that Patrick Kane was selected first overall by the Chicago Blackhawks, and he scored a goal that made us think back to 2010 and the goal that Patrick Kane scored against the Philadelphia Flyers. Um, It seemed as if, you know, Bowen Byram knew that it was in. There were a couple of fans in the corner that stood up and cheered Mm -hmm. uh, when the puck went in to Avalanche fans. Did you have any idea what was happening at that time? No, I, I thought Vasilevsky actually had made the stop, Jeff, initially. I thought he had the puck lodged between his right arm and, and his chest protector. Like, I thought he had made the save. Uh, and you're right, 99% of the building had no idea what was going on. Probably 99% of those watching at home didn't know what was going on. Uh, it was interesting. I, I think we had some great calls with regards to that game-winning goal, whether it was Chris Cuthbert, who was not sure at the time, whether it was Connor McGahee on the Avalanche radio network, who was unsure at the time. Uh, fortunately, uh, we know that, that Craig Simpson was saying, it's in, it's in. Same thing on the Avalanche radio broadcast. Peter McNabb's beside Connor McGahee, and he's going, no, it's in, it's in. And all of a sudden, it resulted in a great goal and, and some great calls and looking back. You know, it's funny you mentioned the 2010 Patrick Kane winner in Philadelphia, too, because that's the conclusion I reached as well when I saw the puck go in because of the uncertainty of the situation. Uh, and so I went back and I watched that again right afterwards uh, just to see if 88 was, was fully aware of what was happening in Philly then, then he knew the puck got under Michael Layton. Sure enough, Patrick Kane was one of the few guys in the entire building that night that knew that, knew yeah. that the series had come to an end, and he went behind the net. He went up the sideboards, and he's pointing, he's celebrating. Before long, all the Hawks uh, had, of course, come around on the fact that the puck was in, that they won the Stanley Cup. Uh, this time, the difference was that Nazem Kadri didn't know. I mean, he talked about it. Initially, he was surprised to find out that it actually went in, and it wasn't until he'd circled right back around, unsure of where the puck was, until he circled right back around into the high slot area that he realized that the game was over. He saw his teammates coming off the bench and the whole bit. So, yeah, there were some conclusions I, I drew with that, that they were very similar, very similar, the only difference being that the guy who scored it uh, this time around was not quite sure. That wasn't the case in 2010 with number 88. Scotty, I'm going to offer you the same prop bet that I offered Elliot Friedman about an hour ago, and and here it is. Do we see a too many men on the ice call tonight? Oh, boy, what a question. Yeah, wouldn't what a question. Great? Wouldn't that be something? Yeah, wouldn't awesome. that be something? Yeah, to start the game in the first period, somehow in Against the first period. Tampa. 
Yeah, the ultimate Tampa. makeup call, right? The ultimate makeup <laughs> call. Look, Jeff, like I, I don't know about you, but I was really, really impressed by how John Cooper handled that yesterday. Because, you know, we thought, Same. you know, with how emotional he was the night before, and he's like, come on back tomorrow, and, and you'll see, and the whole bit. And I was joking, look, John's got a lawyer's background, and I thought, like, he'd have bar graphs out there. He would have still <laughs> photographs to back up his case that there were too many men on the ice, the whole bit. And, and you know, after, after taking some time, and I'm not sure how much he slept after all that, but after taking some time and regaining composure, he comes back, and he's calm, cool, and collected, and he says, look, I apologize for what happened after the game with my media availability or lack thereof. Look, we've been the recipients of some calls that have gone our way with regards to the too many men and such and plays like that and situations like that. I had Rangers fans and Islanders fans tweeting me uh, after it all happened and, oh, cry me a river, John Cooper. You know, the Rangers got robbed. The Islanders got robbed against you. But to John's credit, he said what goes around comes around to a certain extent. We're looking forward and not back. And uh, I thought he handled yesterday in his media availability, Jeff, with the ultimate in class. That's John Cooper, though, right? Because yep. I, I think at that, you're right, like at, at the presser, I think the initial one I thought that we were seeing John Cooper presenting as a lawyer in front of a jury as mm-hmm. opposed to a coach presenting in front of assembled media. Mm-hmm. Um, and at the at the end of it, like that's a, he's a really smart guy. Like yeah. just to be blunt, John Cooper's a really, really uh, smart guy here. Um Let's park this conversation quickly. I, I do want to ask you about a couple of things around the NHL. Uh, the news last night, uh, Joe McDonald, Boston Bruins, Patrice Bergeron. Sounds like uh, he's coming back for one more season. We know that uh, like Bergeron's on vacation, coming back next week. We'll meet with the Bruins. Looks like a one-year deal uh, incentive-laden for Patrice Bergeron. Your thoughts on where this puts the Boston Bruins now, Scotty? Well, look, I think that's great news. Uh, I saw the Joe McDonald tweet like you did as well, Jeff, and I think that's great news, and I hope he can start the season on time. Uh, I mean, we were led to believe after the surgery it was going to probably be late August when he could start getting back and start to ramp things up for, for the season to start. So we know Marshawn's out to start, uh, and we hope that Bergeron will be good to go for opening night. Just what can you say about Patrice Bergeron, right? The epitome of class on and off the ice. Uh, I've often said, Jeff, this guy reminds me, and for those that are old enough uh, to remember a guy like Jean Rattel, right? A guy that was so yeah. impactful on the ice, the way he played, but he played the game, you know, with the ultimate in sportsmanship. Uh, he was, again, a guy that was recognized as being first class off the ice as well i kind of look at him as a guy with a few more accolades certainly than john had during the course of his career but that type of player so where does it put the bruins look i think it's still a work in progress uh they're still gonna i guess have to address the second line center position right i mean at some point i mean the, the crazy talk has kind of quieted down right after the pasternak world hockey championship uh video and well the videos know, didn't help <laughs> yeah and then don sweeney coming out and alluding to the fact that they would be talking with Krejci's representatives, but that's yeah. kind of quieted down here in the last couple of weeks at least. And, you know, they're going to have some guys here that will be late to start the season ultimately. And, you know, how much better is Jeremy Swayman going to be in his, his second full National Hockey League season? Uh, you know, is Linus Allmark going to be a little bit better than he was last season off the contract that he got to leave the Buffalo Sabres too? And all the while, of course, we know that the back end, they've got a stud in Charlie McAvoy. Beyond that, though, uh, there still could be some questions. I like the fact that Lindholm's there and they extended him and at least they'll have him for the full campaign as well from, from training camp onwards. So this Bruins team is going to be competitive. Chances are they're probably going to be a playoff team once again. Beyond that, it'll be, it'll be interesting to see how far they can take it one, one more time. Uh, Luke Richardson, Chicago, a thought yeah. on this one. I mean, the, the, the main takeaway for this one for me is how come it took so long for Luke Richardson to get a head coaching position? Yeah, how great do we feel for Luke, right? I mean, again, here comes the word class because you talk about Luke Richardson and, and look, you know, seeing him come in as a rookie with the Leafs all those years ago, uh, he was a great kid back then. Uh, boy, who could forget uh, the big hit he had on Tony Granato at Maple Leaf Gardens coming across the line one night uh, just about, uh, you know, just about put him out for, for good. Uh, it was an amazing hit. He was a physical player. 
off the ice, though, just uh, just a fantastic guy, and and we know he's gone through a whole lot of adversity, no doubt. He and his family, and you feel real good for a guy like that. And to your point, Jeff, from a coaching resume standpoint. I know he coached the Binghamton Baby Senators for a couple of seasons. He's been a head coach in the American Hockey League. But he's been chomping at the bit right now for an opportunity here like this with the Chicago Blackhawks. So I hope he does well. I really do. I hope he does well. I know that the offseason is going to be very, very interesting in the Windy City when you hear about uh, everybody but probably, you know, Kane and Taves, you know, leaving town or at least potentially moving town, even to Brinkett perhaps being on the block. Uh, it'll be an interesting offseason, to say the least, but I think they got the right guy behind the bench to be able to grow with his team here in the next year or two. Absolutely. Um, and we'll, uh, we'll, we'll end on this one. Um, I think Colorado comes out with everything they have tonight in that first 10 minutes, and it's going to be Tampa's job to withstand that. This is going to be the test. I think we're going to get a good indication of how this thing is going to go in the first 10 minutes. Agree or disagree? Oh, I agree. I agree. Like, if you can't get amped up for something like this, you know the cup is going to be in the building. Uh, You know the fan base has been partying pretty much all day long. Uh, It'll be electric inside the arena. Uh, Like I said, the party's going on here probably for hours already today. Uh, It'll be an amazing atmosphere outside of the rink. Uh, I just think, look, I mean, this will give them the extra push that they're going to need to get across the finish line, I think, tonight. When you have the uh, reality being that you can realize a dream, a couple of hours after puck drop uh, i don't think that there's any turning back at this point i think the avalanche wrap it up should be fun either way uh scotty this is always great uh continued success my friend oh by the way do you have your iron maiden tickets yet for next uh for for is it october when they're coming to toronto do you have your tickets yet i I will be there i do not have my tickets but i'm going to pull some strings behind the scenes and i will be there hashtag up the irons (laughs) you're the best thanks so much scotty you'll be good all right jeff take care Scott Lachlan, um from the Morning Skate on uh, NHL Network Radio. Him and Gord Selleck do an outstanding job each and every morning. I'm always amazed at those two because, um, you know, morning shows, morning shows in sports can be tough. Uh, well, they they are tough. Ask any, you know, person that does mornings in sports because the games don't wrap up. Like if you're really going to do the job properly and thoroughly, you're you're staying up till the wee hours and, you know, if it's hockey, uh, you learn to hate the San Jose Sharks and their 10.30 starts. Why can't you just make it 10 o'clock uh, Eastern, that is? Um, and Scotty and Gord are right on it starting at uh, at 7 a.m. Um, they have, you can tell, they might be a little bit tired sometimes uh, because they've stayed up watching everything, but it's a really thorough program each and every morning, and I enjoy it. Um, geez, just about every morning I'm dropping in on that program uh, to check things out. You know, the uh, the Luke Richardson thing, quick story here before we break. Luke Richardson, or maybe more accurately, Dino Cicerelli, is the reason I got into media. I don't think I've ever told this story before. So Luke Richardson, I can't even remember the year now. Um, Luke Richardson, when he played for the Toronto Maple Leafs, is a Maple Leafs uh, Minnesota North Stars game. And Dino Cicerelli and Luke Richardson got into it. And Cicerelli went after him hard with his stick and started, you know, chopped him, swinging sticks, you know, reminiscent of, you know, decades gone by in the NHL. And I wrote a letter. Oh, my God. How old was I? Like in my teens. I wrote a letter to the Hockey News about it. And I still got a copy of the Hockey News somewhere here behind me. There's boxes of old Hockey News magazines. Um, uh, And Bob McKenzie uh, would have been the editor of the Hockey News at that point and put it in that week's edition of the Hockey News. And who was on the cover? Christian Rutu would have been on the cover of Buffalo Sabres. I think there was something on the Muskegon Lumberjacks on it as well. Um, but anyway, and this, you know, I'm a longtime subscriber to the Hockey News, and I get it, and I and I open it up, and I go to the letters section, and lo and behold, there's my name, and there's my letter to the the Hockey News, and Mackenzie had put it in, and that was the first time I had done, I had quote unquote done anything media. Uh, and I don't know that it gave me the bug or gave me the inspiration, but it was the first thing that I ever had published. That was the first thing where I ever had any type of opinion that I had amplified. So if you're not a fan of mine, if you really don't dig me either here or on TV or on the podcast or on Microsoft Teams ads, blame Bob McKenzie. 
because he was the first one to get me started by publishing my uh, my little letter uh, to the uh, to the hockey news about the Cicerelli Richardson incident. Uh, we're gonna get on the uh, the Blackhawks page here in a couple of moments. Uh, Luke Richardson becomes the new head coach. Uh, of the Chicago Blackhawks. Uh, that is certainly on the horizon. We'll get into that. Some more news of the day in Game 5 tonight at Ball Arena. Tampa and Colorado. We'll see if we see Lord Stanley this evening. Merrick Show continues across the Sportsnet Radio Network. Discussing the biggest stories that matter to Toronto sports fans. The Fan Morning Show with J.D., Blake, and Alish. Be sure to subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, update here from the Philadelphia Flyers. Flyers forward Joel Farabee underwent successful disc replacement surgery in his cervical region this morning. This is for today, Friday, June 24th. Uh, the surgery performed by Dr. John Yoon, a neurosurgeon at Penn Medicine. He's expected to make a full recovery in three to four months. So, disc replacement uh, for Joel Farabee. Um, tough news for the Philadelphia Flyers. And listen, you always uh, always get sensitive around anything around discs in the cervical region. Anyhow, um, Flyers fans are not doing very well with this news. Just looking at the replies to that Philadelphia Flyers tweet. But nonetheless, we... Uh, we wait to see what direction the Philadelphia Flyers go in in the offseason uh, now that they have installed their new head coach, Sean Tortorella. Um, and now we wait to see what you know what goes around John Tortorella. There is some speculation about Andrew Burnett, but we shall see. Uh, Matt Marchese, how are you today, pal? I'm good. I have more news. Oh, geez. Here we go. What's wrong with you? You have an ADR, uh, you have an ADR too? No, 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 no. We have news out of Vancouver. Okay. Oh, yeah, I saw this. Yeah, Dale Talon? Yeah. Yeah, so Ryan Johnson has been promoted to assistant to the GM, will retain his role as the GM of the Abbotsford Canucks. Scott Young will act yep. as the director of player personnel. Uh, mm-hmm. Frank Golden joins as a college free agent scout. Dylan Crawford, video coach. And like you mentioned, Dale Talon will serve mm-hmm. as the senior advisor and professional scout. So Dale Talon back in the NHL. That is a long-standing relationship that stretches back decades between uh, Dale Talon and Jim Rutherford. Not exactly a surprise there. Um so after that segment with Friedman, where I said wondered about Jared Bednar being the uh, the only player from Roller Hockey International, man, people must be sick of me talking about RHI, but I loved it so much. The only player from RHI, uh, if he if Colorado wins tonight, to have won the Stanley Cup after playing in Roller Hockey International. You called me right away in the break and said, "Hold on a second, dummy, Manny Legacy." Now you know why I should have known that. Well, firstly, I didn't say dummy, but well, that, I, I heard I heard the tone in your voice, Matt. Like, I've, how long have I known you? I know you're going back to primetime sports with McCowan. Yeah, like, I, I know when your inside voice is saying, look, dummy, I get it. You, you, you kind of sound like disappointed <laughs> father sometimes when you call me like, Jeff, really? Seriously? Um, I should have known Manny Legacy because I never missed a Toronto Planets home game. They used to play at Varsity Arena. And on that team were NHLers Dan Dau and Lou Franceschetti. Uh, I remember Ed, Lu- Ed Lubacic was the muscle uh, on the squad, big tough guy, and Manny Legacy was the goaltender. And then after the games, the uh, players and various fans, and I was one of them, uh, used to all go drink at the Madison. that was summer roller hockey baby everyone would just pile into the matty and just uh kill brain cells afterwards but yeah of course i should have realized that manny legacy was one do you have a do you have a someone hang on let me grab this so a uh a longtime listener here let me grab this uh brooke simpson uh submits hey jeff merrick remember brian trotche's short stint in the rhi yes he played with pittsburgh with the phantoms uh, oh, ten I didn't games. Even see that on there? Yeah, he played. Sorry, he played twenty-one games. He got thirty-seven points. This was nineteen ninety-four. Uh, Trotsky had already won his cups by then, but still, technically, yes, he's someone who played in RHI and has won a Stanley Cup. Okay, so this is. It may not be a complete list because I. Oh, by the way, sorry, mi- can I cut yeah, you off really quickly? You know what I just realized, and this guy is like a good friend of mine. And I didn't even put two and two together and never asked him about it. And now he's moved. He used to be my neighbor, Glenn Clark. 
Do you know Glenn Clark? He used to play for the Toronto Rock. No. He coaches in the National Lacrosse League. Uh, he's now moved stateside. He played on that Pittsburgh team. Clark, he was oh, a really good lacrosse player, played some minor pro hockey in the ECHL and the, and the Colonial League as well, and played uh, that season with, uh, uh, with RHI. Actually, hang on, let me get you. I was just giving you Glenn Clark stats. No, man, Brian Trotche played nine games and had 22 yes. points. Clark, he played the 21 games and had the 37 points. There we go. So this is, this is as good a list as I could come up with. because See, this is, this is my love-hate relationship with producing for me. you because – no, no, no. Well, beyond that. But you come up with these things that I go, for God's sakes, Jeff just made me think about this, and now I'm really interested in finding out what this is. So I had to finish. No. The, I, had to well, I know what you're it. thinking. Merrick just sent me on a goose chase. It's Friday. It's a little before 2 o'clock. I feel like Fred Flintstone at Slate Quarry. It's yabba-dabba-doo time here in a couple of seconds. I'm going to slide down the dinosaur's tail, and I'm off to the weekend. Me and Barney Rubble going to get at it at the bowling alley. Instead... Merrick gives me homework. No, th- believe me, this is if I had to go past the show for this, it would be prolonging the inevitable of me going back to my roots and going to bring pea gravel into my backyard. Anyway, um, <laughs> okay, the list. Uh, you mentioned Manny Legacy, the Toronto Planets, ninety-two, yeah. ninety-three. Won a cup with the Red Wings. Um, yep. This the 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 next two I'm going to mention did not play, but they were head coaches. Ken Morrow won a cup with the Islanders, was the coach of the Las Vegas Flash in 93-94. The great Yvonne Cornoyer was the head coach of the Montreal Roadrunners, the apropos Montreal Roadrunners uh, in 94-95. And he coached Eric Messier, who won a cup with the Avalanche Uh, um, in 2000. Yeah. Um, And he played for the Montreal Roadrunners. Davis Payne, Played for the New Jersey Rock and Rollers in 94-95, and he won a cup as an assistant coach with the Hang Kings. on a second. Can you do, uh, do, do you have that up in front of you right now? This is really bad radio, me just getting Maddie to check um, Hockey DB. Do you know if um, Manon Rayom played on that New Jersey Rock and Rollers team? I don't I don't have – I can pull that up quickly, but I, I do know that she played for multiple teams yep. in that uh, – I'm just looking up here. The New Jersey Rock and Rollers – because like I think that's where uh, that's she, where she, she met one game. Okay, because I think that's where she met her Jerry now Saint ex-husband Cyr. Jerry, Jerry Saint Cyr. Uh, Dylan Saint Cyr is a uh, goaltender in Division One who was up yeah. for the draft two years ago, and that made me feel really old. Like Dylan Saint Cyr, Manon Rayom. Like just, you know, every now and then there's like someone that pops up who's a uh, who's a who's a uh, a child of an NHLer or a hockey personality, and you go like, wow, that really makes me feel old. Um, because I still look at, you know, and think about, um, uh, I still think about her as if she's like, you know, 26 years old and still playing. Just the fact that Dylan St. Cyr was available for the draft uh, made me feel really old a couple of years ago. <laughs> I'm starting why. to get there. When I, like, I played, yeah, welcome just, to as, it. just as an aside, I played, um, I was playing men's league last night, and one of the guys that plays with us is, I think he's 21 or, yeah, he's 21. So he was born in 2001, and that made me feel really, really old, even though, you know, I'm only 12 years older than him. I felt really, really old in that moment. Um, this, this, last this, one, will be, this, this is part of your life now forever, by I the way. I know. I know. I know. It's awful. Um, uh, Kevin Sheveldayoff is the final one. He was the head coach of the no Denver way. Daredevils in 95-96, and, of course, won a cup as the assistant GM of the Chicago, Chicago. Blackhawks. So there is the list that also did not include Brian Trotje because I somehow missed that. Um, it was an exhaustive search. I'm not going to lie. How long did it take you? So we got, hang on, so we got Manny Legacy, Ken Morrow, Yvonne Cornoyer, Eric Messier, Davis Payne, Kevin Dayoff, and Brian yep. Trotje. Yep. So that took me to go through all the teams every single year um, and that that may not even be the full list. That's just like names that I I recognized and I thought maybe um, that took me a little over an hour. It's just so it's this is more a, just clicking and exiting screens, and that's what takes all the time, really. 
You know, it's too bad that I mentioned this with Frege because, and we'll probably get back to it maybe this summer or, or next season with the podcast. We used to do these uh, these segments where I just throw out random names to Elliot and he's got to come up with a story about each of them. Um, <laughs> and then he's got to figure out what the tie-in is. Man, if I hit him with one that was like Jared Bednar, Brian Trotche, Ken Morrow, Davis Payne, Kevin Dayoff, and Eric Messier... There oh, is he not would've... a chance, no not a chance that he would get that one. Not even, no. not even close. No, no chance. Bud. And and the thing is, as I plug in my headphones, because I just knocked them out of my ear, um, the one thing is, is that there's no logical connection there if you just look at it on the surface. Nothing. Nothing. Like, you can't look mm. at those and go... Well, the unless you just said they won a Stanley Cup, fine. But the second part would definitely not have been in there. Uh, I think By the way, that, speaking of Frege. Yeah. Yes. Shoot. I'll give you a quick little thing here. So we know we went okay. on the Pat McAfee show. Yeah, it was really good too. Over, that was so cool. You know what? That was like kind of like waking up and realizing your neighbor is Spider-Man. I'm just like, whoa, yeah. look at Frege on Pat McAfee. That's so cool. Yeah. Yeah, that was a big deal. Uh, by the way, my wife's calling. I don't think she knows that the show goes from 12 to 2. Um, I love it. So I, I kind of gave him heck because he said the other day that he was doing the show over the phone. I said, that's fine, but Pat McAfee gets FaceTime. We can't even get Opal with you. I think he's getting too big for his britches here. And he says, I'm walking to the rink. I said, that's not an excuse. Not an excuse. Not an excuse at all. Hey, what do you think happens tonight? I think you're... I think your take on the first 10 minutes is going to be wild if you're the Colorado Avalanche. And I, I think if it's kind of a weird thing to say because why is the first 10 minutes more important than the second 10 minutes? But for whatever weird reason, I think it is. And if Tampa can get out of that first 10 minutes, either even or ahead, I like their chances. But Colorado has just been such a juggernaut at home in these playoffs that – I don't know. I just think Tampa just feels too broken at this point. And that's from somebody who has money on Tampa to win the series. I I, I think it's done. I think the run is is done. Even if Tampa Bay wins tonight, I just don't know how much left they have in the tank. It's mm-hmm. you know, you talked about how long of a three years this has been. And lots of people, you know, when I put out the take that this was the greatest dynasty that we've seen just because of the circumstances, some people are like well, they play in a shortened season, and then they played in the bubble, and those were hard years. And and loop in the fact that there is a salary cap attached to all of this. Mm-hmm. It hasn't been easy, but it's been a grind physically, mentally for these guys, and it really does feel like – I know there was the narrative, oh, Tampa looks tired early on in the playoffs. Now they legitimately look tired. And I think I just think Colorado's fresh – They've just got less that we've seen, less guys that are banged up. And it's just going to be tough for Tampa. they got to get out of the first 10 minutes today. Uh, they, they really do. Um, like, I would love to see this thing get stretched out. And I think, like, listen, I don't have a dog in the fight. You know, I don't. So I would just love to see this thing go seven. Um, and I don't think it's going to be a blowout. Having said that, watch it be a blowout now. Um, but I, uh, I... I I have a hard time believing that that Tampa's just going to go in there and and hand this win. Like when you look at and specifically, you know, Pat Maroon's comments yesterday. I uh, I think this is a, as much as they are a banged up Tampa Bay Lightning team. I think they're an angry Tampa Bay Lightning team. Mm-hmm. And I know that you know John Cooper came out and you know apologized for his behavior the the night before and the disappointed dad routine with the uh, with the overtime goal and and how it all came about and too many men on the ice etc but that's an angry team at this point and what's the one thing that you know coaches love selling to their team it's us against everybody yep. it's us against the other team it's us against the officials uh, we're in their barn it's their fans all of it i don't know i would just just for the sake of wanting to watch more hockey, you know, wanting to see, uh, wanting to see this series continue, and essentially, you know, not wanting hockey to end right now, uh, I'm, I'm kind of hoping Tampa wins tonight, and we see this yeah, thing me- go back to, uh, go back to, to go back to Emily Arena on Sunday. Yeah, me too. And the other thing is, is th- this hasn't been talked about a lot, 
But the way I kind of look at how this series is gone is this could easily be, and maybe not easily, but it could very well be 3-1 for Tampa at this point. Let's not forget the two games went into overtime. And we can say whatever we want about how Tampa Bay played in those overtimes. Two of the four games in this series have been close score-wise. There was obviously, you know, the two the two blowouts with Colorado winning one and then Tampa winning the other. But John mm-hmm. Cooper could absolutely go into the room and say, guys, look at that. We've gone to overtime twice against this team, and we haven't played our best. Because I think that's safe to say. We have not seen Tampa's best. Even in the 6-2 win, we did not see Tampa's best game. So he's also got that to hang his hat on and say, hey, listen, we could yeah. easily be up 3-1 right now. And we're in this series, despite the fact that we haven't thrown all we have at them. So I think there's a lot that goes into that. And it's something that hasn't been discussed. Like, it could be 2-2. It could be 3-1 Tampa. Yeah. The only thing I wonder about, though, is at this point, given what Tampa has gone through, and everyone's jumping in front of shots and everyone's hurt right now, can we even get Tampa's best? Maybe not. Probably not. Like that's that's the one thing that I wonder about through all this. Like, because I'm with you. Like, we haven't seen Tampa's best, but this is kind of a statement on you know the nature of uh, of how the NHL playoffs go and the Stanley Cup final goes. Anyway, and I was talking about this at the be- I think it was the beginning of the program or somewhere at some point this program about how we all love the first round. We love the first round because everybody's relatively healthy. Sure, there are some guys that are playing hurt, but no one's playing with like these injuries that you find out about afterwards. Like, you know, he remember when <laughs> the, the, the series against, uh, I can't remember, I think it was against Chicago, and we found out that, like, Patrice Bergeron is playing with, like, a broken rib and a punctured lung, and like, it was like, oh, my God, like, never mind, how is he playing hockey? How is he getting out of bed? How is he getting released from a hospital? And it's always a big reveal at, at the end of it. You know, the first round is great because the guys are getting at it, and everybody's relatively healthy. Uh, and then you get to the Stanley Cup final, and it looks like, I mean, honestly, at some, at some points, it, it looks and feels like the thriller video, right? Where, like, it's a bunch of zombies. It's a bunch of zombies that are out there, and limbs are, limbs are falling off. And there's a couple of... A couple of guys can, can still kind of move, but like, and we got a taste of it. We, we talked to Jay Woodcroft about this yesterday. You know, you kind of get a taste of it watching uh, watching Leon Dreisaitl, you know, trying to perform <laughs> through all of that. Like a regular season game, there's no chance he's playing. And this guy finishes off the King series and then just carries on and continues to play, you know, all the way through to the, uh, all, all the way through to the, the, the bow out against the Avalanche. I'm not saying the hockey's bad. I'm just saying the hockey's different. It's probably not played at a level that we see in the opening round just because you can't. And there does come a time where I don't care who you are. You can be that Islanders dynasty. You can be this Tampa Bay Lightning, if we can call it two cups in a row and a Stanley Cup final appearance, a dynasty in the NHL now in a salary cap world, this Tampa Bay Lightning dynasty. At a certain point, the injuries and the pain catch up to you. Yeah, we, they they, seen, they really do. It, it's true, and and the other thing is is let's like like I mentioned, let's add in the other factors that went through this. Like, let's talk about the mental exhaustion of all of this. Talk about playing in a bubble and being away from your family for for two months straight, and and you know having to deal with last season the shortened year and and then having to come into this season and play a full season like there's a lot of mental stress that goes along with that and i know people out there going well they're hockey players and they get paid well, okay that's fine but they have stresses and are normal people just like the rest of us they do they just do something abnormally well and yeah. i think that's that's also part of this it's just how much more juice can we squeeze from this from this orange here let me ask you I this just don't question. know how much is left. Let me ask you this question. If you're going to lose, would you rather lose in the first round or in the final? Oh, man. It sucks losing right at the end. Yeah, because you get so it's close and you're still far. Awful. Whereas if you lose in the first round, it's like, well, I knew I was going to lose anyway. At least I didn't have to go through and get my, my butt kicked and get beaten up and block all these shots. 
knowing that I was going to lose. Yeah, I think I would go with losing in the first round. I know that's a loser See, mentality, but I know I was losing go, anyway. I'd still go with the final, just so you can have that experience. Just to have that experience. Whether you win or lose, you are having that life experience, Maddie. How come you never made it I, as a hockey player, Maddie? That, that's exactly why, because I was fine with going out in the first round and lazy, and I shall continue. All right, you get back to the backyard. You got work to do. Uh, thanks, Elliot Friedman from Hockey Night and 32 Thoughts for stopping by. Ian Mendez from The Athletic. Scott Lachlan uh, from the Morning Skate on NHL Network Radio. 7.30 Eastern, the pregame. Puck drops just after 8. Ron McLean is your host. It is Hockey Night in Canada, Game 5. Can the Avalanche do it, or can Tampa force a Game 6 back at Amelie Arena? Enjoy the game. Merrick Show returns Monday, noon Eastern at 9 Pacific. Have a great weekend.